Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast. My name is Philip, and I am so excited for what you're about to listen to. These are sermons and presentations by young adults and for young adults. If you're visiting in the area, we hope that you join us for Night Church on Friday nights. Or if you're a regular here in Loma Linda, I hope that you'll share this sermon with someone that you love and care about. Now, for the sermon. as we transition into hearing the word and hearing thoughts on God and particularly as we've prompted four of our young adults in our community uh, to share, my prayer is that God would open in you a better desire for the kingdom as you hear from them. We've given them some questions to think about the future of the church, the present reality and the pains, some missing points within Adventism and maybe even just why be an Adventist at all. And so I want to read to you kind of how they're going to come up in sequence and share a little bit of a bio about them. So we're going to begin this evening with Kelsey Rochelle. She's an entrepreneur, a creative, one of our afterglow and social leaders at Praxis and recently was baptized this March of this year. She's an absolute joy and a light to be around if you know her. She is incredibly generous towards others, literally financed our snacks for the first six months uh, when we started back here. She pulls pranks on people when you least expect it. She's also a very wonderful person in terms of sharing her testimony, which you're going to hear a little bit about in a moment, on how she found Praxis and decided to get baptized. She will also be answering the topic of why Adventism. Kelly Lynn Dickinson is one of our young adult intern pastors here at Praxis. We're so thrilled to have her sharing tonight. And she was also recently married to the wonderful Logan Dickinson, who is an amazing worship leader. She hasn't always worked in ministry, but she has had a deep passion for Christ and the kingdom and how to connect young adults and particularly even women within the church and those outside the church walls. She's working on her pastoral ministry degree starting this fall, and in the meantime, she enjoys cycling, a good coffee, baking, and spending time with her boo. Derek Glatz. He is a fifth-generation Adventist who works now as a chaplain here at our very own Loma Linda University Medical Center. He is passionate about grief recovery and mental health care. In his free time, he loves rock climbing. He's a legit mountaineer and has climbed a lot of 14ers already. He loves astronomy and even the bonsai. Derek will be answering on the topic of what is the future of Adventism. Aaron Reniker, one of my good buddies and ministry colleagues, was born and raised in Sacramento, California and became an Adventist as a teenager thanks to the incredible influence of his church and academy. He is our Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries here at the Southeastern California Conference. He loves connecting with pastors, speaking with, to young people, and he also loves serving youth ministries leaders all over our conference, and I would say our entire division. His greatest passion is to empower youth and young adults to live out the gospel in new and relevant ways. 
Aside from ministry, Aaron also enjoys basketball where he schooled me many a times, shot threes in my face. I'll forgive you, buddy. He loves to tell stories and listen to stories, and he enjoys a fresh bowl of oatmeal every once in a while that his lovely wife, Paige, might be part of making or he makes for her. They were able to be married here just a couple years ago in 2020, and Aaron will be answering our last topic, talking about what is a missing element in Adventism. Friends, our prayer is that you'd open your heart and be blessed with what you hear. Kelsey Rochelle. I am a small business owner and I am the Praxis Afterglow and Social Director. So I was born here in Redlands. I grew up in Indonesia though. 2012 I decided to come to America. I pretty much came here alone. Something had happened to a family member of mine. By the grace of God I found a place to stay and I actually lived there for three years and then finally I decided, okay, I think I can actually go to college. Literally, sometimes I would only have like $10. And I'm like, okay, I need to get gas for my car. That's like $10. So what's breakfast, lunch, dinner for tomorrow? Long story short, um, I started my business because I was kind of getting tired of working nine to five and then five to nine and then like a part-time somewhere else. Thank God my business went so well. And within four months, I was making three times the amount of money that I was making full-time. A year later, I started having my office, and then I started another business, and now that's what I do, and I got my own place. A lot of people just praying for me, helping me out with like life struggles financially. Adventism is a big part of my life. But searching for church, I've been to like just different churches, and I just never felt like home in any of them. And I have been hurt by so many churches. People knew how much I hated the church community because I was just like, this is not the way it should be and I don't like this. So I'm like, I'm gonna just stop going to church. So I stopped going to church for three years. So I was just scrolling through Instagram one day and they posted, um, Praxis posted, last call on the life group, signups, click the link, read it. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I signed up to the life group with Fifi, Derek, and Shion about the mental health, and I kind of needed that at that time. I signed up, and yeah, that's how I found Praxis. People expect church to be this perfect, everybody is like sinless. Everybody here is so like messed up. That's why they go to church, because they want to be healed, they want to be loved, they want second chance, they want something, they want to be part of something. Church has definitely given me a whole new perspective of like friendship and relationships with people and with God. I got baptized this year um, and that was crazy. And I'm very excited because that's a really big step um, for me. I would hope one day I can bring people closer to God. I want to bring people that had a bad experience with church and stopped going to church or hated church or hated God like how I did. And I'm hoping that I can bring them to church by the little events that we have at church. Kelly actually offered me to help out with decorating and the afterglow stuff and helping out with the whole event coordinating. So I was just like, oh my gosh, 
this is literally perfect because this is like my way to actually be involved rather than just going to church and going home. When you just have food on the table, people take pictures like, oh my gosh, this is so cute. You can feel someone else's joy and that gives me joy. And being able to do that for the church, just I'm happy that I'm able to do that. God loves me and there's a community out there that actually wants me. There's a community that actually would help me, that would welcome me. I want people to experience that and hopefully that will feel the same way or even better than what I experienced, so. Kelsey, good to see you, glad you're here. Hi. That was so beautiful. Thanks. That was so beautiful. Kelsey is a little nervous up front, but man, she's amazing. I'm she's so a nervous right are now. Are you? Yeah, my armpits are wet. <laughs> I always say this because that's how it is when I'm nervous. Oh, that's the truth. T TMI, TMI, all right. No, thank you so much for being here. Hey, we, we really appreciate your authenticity, your willingness to really share how God kind of moved in your life, this journey from... Hey, I had a hard uh, experience with church and God, mm. and I, I stepped away even for years. And just seeing a simple invitation to draw me in from our very own Pastor Kelly literally transformed your life. And here you are, you're, you're a breath of fresh air, a light to our community, honestly, in so many ways. And so uh, we just want to hear maybe a little bit more on that decision to get baptized. Why, why Adventism? Why the church? Why this place? Like, how did that happen? Um, the reason why I chose this place and Adventism, first of all, I think it's actually conviction. Mm. I grew up SDA, um, and I think it's just I was brought up SDA, and that just feels right in my heart mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to choose Adventism. But obviously there's more than that. Um, Adventism, to me, is so special. Mm. Um, the people, the community what Adventism or Advent, like just the whole thing about Adventism, sorry, I'm going to stutter for the next five minutes, whatever, sorry, I'm nervous. Um, um, it's so special to me because people have helped me in so many ways, yeah. the church especially, yeah. and I feel like it aligns also with my beliefs mm. for sure. Mm. Um, I think in... Any church that you go to, in my opinion, is a little different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but specifically Praxis, you guys have made me feel like home. Mm. Um, and I think feeling like home is like the best feeling ever. Mm -hmm. And um, doing Bible studies with you as well. Mm. Honestly, Kelly and you, Pastor Phil, has definitely helped me so much in my faith mm. journey. Mm. Um, you guys welcomed me. And for someone that actually... I'm very open to this, but for, for someone that actually hated church and hated God, um, and the fact that you guys gave me a chance to be part of leadership, that mm. was big to mm. me. Mm. It's like, oh my gosh, people actually are letting me in, back yeah. in, like they actually want me. And a lot of people don't mm. see that and they don't, they can't relate. And anyway, I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah. Am I making yeah. sense? Oh, I absolutely. Okay. No, I think... I think that a lot of young adults sometimes maybe feel the judgment of the church, and that's actually one of the biggest reasons why many are pushed out. Yeah. And the fact that you found a space where people not only took you back in, but said, hey, we don't really care about the past. Christ has forgiven you as much as he's forgiven me, and we are equals here. When we sit in these pews here in this space, 
every single one of you has a story. And this just happens to be yours. And we are always about not only giving chances, but we've been given a chance by Christ. And so that's the blessing. So thank you so much, Kelsey, for being here. Thank you for sharing that story. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You guys are awesome. Yeah. Well, we want to take a moment for you to actually get involved with this evening. And so tonight, first poll that we're going to have, we actually want to ask you a question. Some of you may not be uh, part of our faith tradition that is associated with this church, which is Seventh-day Adventism. But for those of you who are, we want to hear from you just for a moment. Why did you choose Adventism? And so there's going to be a poll that's going to come up on the screen that you're going to be able to connect with. Those of you even actually watching, you can even connect with this. So why did you choose Adventism? You're going to go to texting the number 37607 and you text the word Praxis LLUC. You can also do the QR code that's up there on the top. And there are some responses for you to pick from. We'd love to hear from you. Why did you choose it? Or maybe you didn't. And maybe you're like, bro, I'm just a Christian or I'm still on a journey. I kind of did this because my parents, I was brought in from my community. We want to hear from you. So we're going to take a couple seconds. Those of you online, hope you participate as well. Ooh. All right, here we go. Responses came in. 80% of you, my family community guided me here. 7%, I found it independently on my own. 4%, 4%, I haven't chosen it. Just appreciate you guys and your vegan, vegetarian love. Uh, D, I'm still deciding, and 2% other. Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you for interacting with us. My prayer is that along this way, you recognize one thing from Kelsey's story. She made a decision. And that's kind of as we're leaving this first question, this first topic. My hope as a pastor is that you would make a decision about faith don't sit on the sidelines make a call make a stand and choose for yourself friends. Yes. Uh, My name is Kelly, and I am the young adult intern pastor here at Praxis, and it is so great to see all of your lovely faces. Um, It's also so cool to be, like, down below. I feel like I'm a part of the whole experience. So thank you so much for um, being here tonight, you guys. You guys look so great. So we are doing something interesting tonight, and I am sharing a little bit on the pain in Adventism. This is not a very easy topic. And actually, I could probably talk about this topic for an entire sermon series, but tonight I get seven minutes. So hopefully this will be as compact and quick as possible. There is a lot of pain in Adventism. And I think in the church and in organized religion at large, Sadly, church has a whole lot of hurt that it has done to people. I've been watching the Hillsong series with, uh, it's a documentary with my husband, 
And it is really sad to see that pain in church is not just in the Adventist space. Pain in church is anywhere and everywhere because it is involving people. And if you're here tonight and you have experienced pain, which I think a lot of us have, whether we want to admit it or not, I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for being here despite being hurt by the church. And for whatever reason you chose to come tonight, I just want to say, as someone who is a leader of the church and someone who is a leader of the Adventist church, that on behalf of the Adventist church, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And this will not by any means eliminate the pain, nor is it supposed to. But I do want you to know that I'm sorry that a place that is called to be a space for healing has caused the absolute opposite. And my hope is that you find a space, hopefully a church, that will heal and reverse that pain over time. And my hope is that this church in particular will be compassionate and empathetic stewards of healing. Now, I was really curious how other people have been affected by pain in church. And so I asked a simple question on my Instagram. And I asked, when or how did you experience pain in church? And oh my word, there are a lot of responses and a lot of sad responses. I'm going to start with a couple. And so just bear with me. One person said the GC session in 2015 when women's ordination was shut down on the world stage. That was a big one. I see a few nodding heads. That was actually the year that I decided I will never be a pastor, and here I am. Purity culture, racism, and misogyny. When friends have been ostracized and kicked out for believing different doctrines. When the church's love has been conditional, which I've felt more often than unconditionally. Judgment when in survival mode. Getting kicked off a team I had been part of for years because I tried to keep the leader accountable. Being left out in a group. I ache for those who feel marginalized and unaccepted in church over race and sexuality. When sadness, anxiety, and grief was equated to lack of faith or prayer and dismissed. When judged or gossiped about by church members. When people not remembering you have a backstory and judging you only by what they see. When I was publicly shamed by random church members if they didn't like what I was wearing. Harassing my friends over minor issues until they left the church. Verbalized judgment against my career, field of study, or outfit choice my entire childhood. Another person said that they had a family member that was voted out of the church and forced to stand at the front of the church and watch all of the hands go up to vote her out because she became pregnant at 18 outside of marriage. Reading these brought me to tears. It gives me a lot of pain to know that this is a very heavy topic, and it's something that I want to keep talking about. I want to make it a normal conversation of how can we address these pains. And this week, I was thinking about my own personal experiences on pain in the church, because I grew up Adventist, but I went to public school for most of my life, and I left the church in some aspect, and I explored life without the church. And it was actually really interesting to live a life without 
the church dictating my life or telling me what to do or what to wear. And I have to admit that sometimes life felt very freeing, yet at some times it felt very isolating. Growing up in church, it gave me a lot of insight on the beauty of church as well. I think there's a lot of beauty in a tight-knit community. There's so much beauty of having a church community where you can have young and old and progressive and liberal, all sorts of backgrounds and cultures and walks of life as they all come together to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. And without that, to me, it felt like a piece of me was missing. And so at some point, I decided I'm going to go back to church. But I actually wasn't ready to go back to the Adventist church because I wasn't sure if I would get judged for drinking something different than what my Adventist friends would drink or if I would eat something that my Adventist friends would not approve of. Or maybe I spent my Sabbath in a way that was different than what my pastor expected me to do. And so instead, I attended a Sunday non-denominational church for a year before I had the guts to finally get involved with an Adventist church. But what's beautiful is that the experiences from my Sunday church gave me insight on how to grow, how to connect with those who also felt like they didn't belong. And what I didn't know was that the, the pain and the fear of rejection that I had experienced only fueled me to grow as a leader in the church. It fueled me to make space for those who have felt outcast, marginalized, and isolated as well. And it took me so many years of struggling and learning about the deep love that Jesus has for us and connecting with others who felt the same with, way with me before I realized, despite our pains, we all belong in the church. There's still times when I have a fear of pain and rejection, even at a micro level. I think everyone does. There's times when I'm like, what if, for fun, I just ate pepperoni pizza in front of everyone? Like, would you guys judge me? It honestly kind of makes me a little nervous to think, like, if I just eat pizza with a little pepperoni on it, I could potentially lose my job as an Adventist pastor. But I think knowing that the pain that I experienced and these fears have now driven me to create a safe space, that it reminds me of a, a scripture, a passage in scripture, and I'm going to read it to you. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5, and it's a message version. It says, God of all healing counsel, he comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort, we get a full measure of that too. And you know what's crazy? Despite all of the pain and our collective experiences, despite I know at least every single person here has maybe experienced pain or maybe a family member who has, and yet we still continue to show up. We still continue to be resilient. We keep trying. And just like what Kelsey's story was, she had gone back to church. She had been, she had been rejected. She had experienced pain. She said, I still want to keep trying and pushing. I think we all want to be a part of this. I think we were all created 
to be a part of something that is bigger than us. And I think that your presence here is healing in itself. I think also if we knew who Jesus truly was, the pain maybe wouldn't affect us as much. And I'm not eliminating or gaslighting or ignoring the pain, but I think if we truly knew Jesus's heart for people, then we would know that it is so deep, it is so unconditional, it is forever chasing you and forever chasing me. And we would know that he loves all. He never asked you to change. He never asked you to turn into a saint the moment you walked into the church. He simply said, be with me and follow me. He knows that we are broken, and he knows we make mistakes. He knows our gender identities, our sexual orientation, our life details, our choices, and yet he still chooses to pursue you and know your heart because he knows that we need him the most. And so, friends, I encourage you to ask yourselves, what pain are you experiencing now in your life or maybe a friend or a family member? Or what pain are you currently grieving over? Ask yourself the, that question right now. And for the next two minutes, I'm gonna ask you actually if you could either pray by yourself, Tim's gonna play some nice, beautiful music for us, and to take a moment to pray over the pain that you are experiencing. And if you are brave enough tonight to turn to the person next to you and pray over your pain tonight, thank you. Hey, I hope you've really enjoyed the first part of this sermon. These sort of productions do require some financial giving, and so if you'd like to take part in reaching more young adults across North America and even the world, would you consider giving on praxisministry.org? And there you can sign up and select Praxis Young Adults to be part of our giving campaign. Hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. On my mom's side of the family, we can trace back my ancestry to the American patriots who fought in the Revolutionary War. Two fought in the Massachusetts line of the Continental Army. Another served as an officer. You may have heard of him. His name was Aaron Burr, sir. Two generations later, my great-great-great-grandfather, a man named Robert Wallace Page, fought for the North under General Grant in the final days of the Civil War. After the war, though, he moved west with his new bride, Mary, to join his brother in a town just west of Bozeman, Montana. Along with his four siblings, all named Page, they founded a small town called Pageville and started farming wheat in the stunning Ruby Valley surrounded by the majestic Rocky Mountains. The next generation, in 1889, Robert's son, my great-great-grandfather, Clayton Page, decided that he wanted to strike it out on his own, and so he joined a team building a great railway through Montana, Idaho, and on into Washington State. After about a year, they reached Coeur d'Alene, and Clayton had had enough. 
He heard of a land boom in eastern Washington and moved his wife, Loretta, and son to a small farm in eastern Washington. That's my great-great-great-grandfather. No, I think just two greats. Great-great-grandfather. A few months after settling down in the small town in Washington, a traveling evangelist came to town and set up a big white tent. This preacher had charts and pictures, but while Clayton was intrigued by the strange beasts and prophecies, when he heard about the seventh-day Sabbath, he was outraged. He knew that somewhere the Bible clearly stated that Jesus had changed the Sabbath to Sunday. But after weeks of searching the Bible during his free time on the farm, he couldn't find a thing. But no, not all hope was lost. He called upon the local Baptist minister to come over. And this Baptist minister preached for two hours, but never once opened the Bible. And so Clayton was at a loss. Soon after, though, he started keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath and joined the Adventist church. After a few more years, hardship hit the Page family, and Clayton was eventually forced to bring his family back to Pageville, Montana. And in so doing, he was one of the first to bring Adventism to the Bozeman area. Clayton's son, Ralph, attended Mount Ellis Adventist Academy, and so did his son, Charles Page. Charles had a daughter, my mother, Linda Page, who grew up to meet a young minister named Tom Glatz, and the rest is history. Tonight, I am tasked with speaking to the future of Adventism. Adventism has so much to offer this generation and those to come, from its emphasis on lifestyle health and excellent health care to rejecting the medieval doctrine of eternal torment in hell. Our theology is as fresh and relevant as it was in 1889. But there is no greater example of this relevance than the doctrine of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is within them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. In six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and that all that is within them. Of all the commandments, the fourth commandment focuses the most on creation. In the beginning, God gave humanity the responsibility of caring for the earth, and the Sabbath is a weekly reminder of that responsibility. You see, though, today, it is a weekly reminder of how we have so terribly failed to live up to that responsibility. It is a weekly reminder of how instead of taking God's gift, we have taken it for a command to plunder the earth for our own gain. And now as the oceans rise, the stars dim, the ice melts, and the storms rage, the Sabbath is a weekly reminder to rest from our ceaseless exploitation of nature and appreciate the beauty of what we have been given. But even more importantly than, than that, the Sabbath message is about equality. The Sabbath commandment explicitly states that the servant should be allowed to rest on the Sabbath. You see, 
The Sabbath is a part of a beautiful economic system that breaks down the barrier between rich and poor, slave and master, boss and employee. Every seven days, laborers are allowed to rest. rest. Every seven years during the Shemitah, or sabbatical year, the land is allowed to rest from its labor, labor and lie flat, fallow. And most importantly, every 49 years comes the Jubilee. During a Jubilee, all debts are forgiven. All land is returned to its original owner. All slaves and prisoners are freed. Every 50 years, there was a great reset of ownership and economy. You see, by focusing on what one can or cannot do on the Sabbath, we miss the truly re its truly revolutionary meaning. The Sabbath isn't about swimming versus wading. The Sabbath isn't about eating in versus out, or even the great debate of Loma Linda, mountains or beach. Instead, the Sabbath is a weekly reminder that there is no difference between a billionaire or a vagrant. We are all the chosen children of God. And so, what is the future of Adventism, you ask? I say this, it is the same message that convinced my great-great-grandfather Clayton Page to join the church. It is the Sabbath, but not just the Sabbath of do's and don'ts, the Sabbath of advocacy, the Sabbath of change, the Sabbath of economic restoration and ecological preservation. Thank you, Derek, for sharing. And we have a question for you guys so that you can also answer on this and be a part of tonight's message. So our question to you is, there's, I don't know if we have the poll everywhere up, but it is, what do you think is the future of Adventism? What do you think is the future of Adventism? What do you hope for the future of Adventism? So you can scan that QR code Join by t texting Praxis LLUC to 37607 or join by going on the website pollev.com forward slash Praxis LLUC. I want to thank, I want to thank pastors Philip and Kelly and the Praxis team their leadership tonight. Big shout out to Tim as well, who's been faithful in that. So yeah, give it up for Tim. Huh? Thank you. And I appreciate the honor of being here for this special evening and to read the beautiful diversity of answers from that poll. You learn a lot about somebody once you find out where they come from. For as long as I can remember, my mother has always been obsessed with horses. We even had one when I was growing up. And people always respond by saying, that's so cool. Let me tell you, no, it's not. <laughs> because it is not cool when your mother says to you one morning when you're in fourth grade, hey, let's take you to school today on Buttercup especially when you live in the city. <laughs> I will never forget the feeling 
of clip-clopping down the highway with my backpack on as cars were zooming by and showing up two hours late for school. <laughs> but one day when I was older, I asked my mother why she loves horses so much. And she told me something that I did not know. She said that when she was 13 years old, things were pretty difficult at home. Her big brother had moved out to join the military, and things were not going well with her parents. And at the time when she felt most alone, there was this horse that she would see every day when she'd walk to and from school that she felt understood her better than any person did. And I've talked to other horse people about this, and they said that's a normal thing to feel when you're a horse person. And then my mother told me that even now, she sometimes still feels that way. And that changed how I felt about my mom's relationship with horses, and it frankly changed our relationship as well. And a few years ago, I took her on a trip to Lexington, Kentucky, the horse capital of the world, where I'm pretty sure she didn't stop smiling for four days straight. You see how happy that woman is? You learn a lot about somebody when you find out where they come from. And I've been asked to close out our time tonight by answering the question, what is missing from Seventh-day Adventism? And I have about four and a half minutes to do that. Of course, I'm not sure I have the correct answer. But thinking about it led me to another question. Where do we come from as Seventh-day Adventists? And maybe you know, maybe you don't, and I appreciate Derek's message that preceded and gave, kind of setting us in that space a little bit. Because the Adventist Church is a Protestant Christian movement that came out of another movement that was led by a man named William Miller, who was so convinced that he studied the Bible so well and interpreted it so correctly that he knew the exact day that Jesus would return, the Advent. And that day would be October 22, 1844. And tens of thousands believed him to the point of selling their possessions and not harvesting their crops that year. And then October 22 came, but Jesus did not, and thousands were crushed. And one Millerite was quoted as saying, we wept and we wept till the day dawn. And that day became known in history as the great disappointment. But what happened next? Well, most of the Millerites abandoned their faith completely, and understandably so. But there was a small group who came together and said, even if we don't know everything, and clearly we don't, we still believe in the hope of Jesus. And out of that disappointment came a new community who were bonded not by perfect theology, but by a shared experience and a common desire to respond to their pain by renewing their faith in a God who loves them, and who has not forgotten about them. And that community grew to become the Seventh-day Adventist 
church, the same community that now has 22 million members and nearly 10,000 schools and 229 hospitals and 129 nursing homes and 118 colleges and universities and is the same community that welcomed me in as an awkward middle schooler scared out of his mind having never read the Bible or no idea what a haystack is and yet when I arrived on that campus as a 12-year-old They loved me. They welcomed me in. They gave me a place that I could call home. And they still do today. But I know that's not everybody's experience. But maybe it could be if we just remembered where we come from. And this has been a really special night hearing Kelsey's testimony, thank you, and hearing Kelly's testimony and and sharing about the pain that can come with being part of a church, and hearing Derek's message about the future of the church. Can I be honest? I wish every church service was this vulnerable. Don't you? Like, I have this dream in my mind. Like, what if we just came together for a service and we all just shared the times that we've been totally wrong? Wouldn't that be cool? We could even have like the wrong slideshow and every instrument be slightly out of tune, maybe. Some of you are thinking that that's the service your home church does every weekend, but. (laughs) And then we'd end it this way. After sharing about the times we've all been totally wrong, individually and collectively, we'd finish with communion, reminding each other that even when we're wrong, we're still loved by God and by each other. Because our heritage is not one of theological perfection. If you think it is, I'm sorry to tell you that. Our heritage is one of theological humility. It's a group of people who believed in the resiliency of hope, who decided that when the world breaks your heart, it doesn't have to be the end of the story. And even though our interpretations can be so, so wrong, Beautiful things can still emerge out of being wrong. That is what should bond us together as Seventh-day Adventists. And this isn't to say that theology isn't important. Of course it is, because how we understand God shapes so much of who we are. But that is a lifelong journey. There is no finish line for theology As one of our church's founders said well, we have many lessons to learn and many, many to unlearn because God and heaven alone are infallible. And so maybe our theology, I don't know, maybe it should be our common bond, but it seems to me that when it is, it can so easily be turned into a tool that is used to keep people out. But when our common bond becomes our humanity, becomes our shared experience, our undying passion to love God by loving each other, becomes our collective hope that after the disappointment comes the deliverance, 
and our steadfast commitment to living in community and letting every member know that no question of belief, no doubting of doctrine will change the fact that you are a part of this family, period. Well, then what bonds us together is not a tool to keep people out. It's a reason to welcome them in. And I love the words of the famous Christian credo that says it this way. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And so what is Adventism missing? Maybe we're not missing anything. Maybe it's been there all along. We just have to be reminded of where we come from. We're going to close out our time this evening by taking just two more minutes to share with each other our own answer to the question. If you grew up, if you're a millennial and you grew up in the time that I did, you watched a show called Reading Rainbow, and LeVar Burton would always say this phrase, but you don't have to take my word for it. Thanks, Philip. We're both old. <laughs> How would you answer this question? What element is Adventism missing? And what can you do about it? Let's take two minutes to share that with each other. And then we'll close in worship. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.